what's up hope you guys are having a great day today my name is Matthew Spaziti and welcome back for another episode of the Matthew Spaziti program we talk about financial freedom and economics if you're new to the show you know uh, what we generally talk about when I'm talking about financial freedom and economics is you know the whole reason I made this show is because I feel like in order for people to really get ahead in life, I feel like what they need to do is they need to become financially free by controlling the source of their income. So that's the financial freedom part of it. You know, controlling the source of your income is a very entrepreneurial statement. Basically, it means you've got to go out there, you know, start your own business or a side hustle or something of that nature, you know, become an investor, do whatever you got to do to create extra cash flow where you're selling a product or a service so that ultimately you control that source of income. So whether this is like owning a ton of stocks and living off the dividend payments, whether this is owning real estate and, um, you know, for rental property purposes, you know, whatever this is, you could also do this online. I highly encourage people to do this online. You know, you could easily create well i say easily it's a lot it's a lot of work and it's not i'll put it this way it's simple but it's hard okay it's very hard to do it's very difficult it's not complex it's very simplistic at least in my view it is um you know to each his own i suppose in but in reality it's it's not complicated but it is very very difficult very hard to do it takes a lot of perseverance, you know? I mean, you, you got to do a crap ton of work and the most majority of the time, you're not going to see any kind of uh, benefit from it for a long time. Or at least that's the possibility. It is possible to get going and to become successful or relatively successful very quickly. It kind of depends on the topic that you're that you're doing, but a lot of times there's so many people that are doing this that there's a lot of competition out there and it's just it's just hard to get your voice out it's hard to to separate yourself from the crowd and to let other people know that you're different and you've got some great ideas and it's it, it can be it can be difficult it can be difficult just to get in, in front of people's faces i think there is definitely an unlimited amount of demand out there for absolutely everyone but it's hard for people to do to get their name in front of their faces, particularly because most of the platforms that you're going to be on value paid aspects like advertisements uh, over organic traffic. So if you want to get traffic to like say a YouTube channel or a website through Facebook or Twitter or Pinterest, you have to pay for ads to do that. If you don't pay for ads, then it would be very difficult to get to that point. So it's the ads that are the most important. You see, a long time ago, it was important. It was 
possible to grow your stuff organically by just posting lots of content out, just tons of pieces of content, and just know that eventually people will stumble upon your stuff. And while it is possible to do that, it's very, very, very difficult. Over the years, you know, Facebook and YouTube, they have uh, tweaked their algorithms to the point where now you, they just specifically do not give you a lot of traffic. They just don't. They don't give you a ton of traffic, you know, uh, not organically at least. But anyways, the point is, is that it, it is possible to do this and to have your own online website and your online business and things of that nature, but it's, uh, it, it, it's, it can be difficult, but it's not complicated. It's simplistic, pretty simple to understand. Now, you know, in this episode, we're going to talk about the subjective theory of value. It's also, it also can be called subjective value theory as well. So there are two different, two different names, uh, you know, how you, uh, depending on the order of the words and whatnot, but they both basically mean the same thing. And all in all, you know, we're going to talk about that. We're going to apply it to every aspect of life and we're also going to go ahead and apply it to prices which i think is is oftentimes what it's applied to most but i think it's applied to so much more than simply just that that being said though when we talk about economics here on the show the reason we talk about economics is because economics is not simply some esoteric confusing topic that only super super smart intelligent people should should talk about you know uh professors and economists that get phds and stuff like that no 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 no. ludwig von mises has stated this many times and for those of you who don't know i'm a huge proponent of austrian economics i'm an austrian economic enthusiast if you will uh and you know just still learning my way through this school of economic thought for those of you who don't know you know economics is not exactly a decided topic. It's not a decided field. There's a lot of arguing and battling between economic theories and schools of thought and how we view the world. Economics is ultimately the glasses that we put on that allow us to view the world. That's effectively what economics is. And in the end, you know, it, it describes human behavior, it describes incentives, you know, it tries to explain why things happen, not just when it comes to finances and money, but when it comes to all aspects of life. And it's really, really, really a cool thing. Um, but in the end, it's not a decided on, it's not a decided field. I mean, you've got the behavioral economics, you have complexity economics, you've got... Austrian economics, you've got the Chicago School of Economics, you know, you've got all these different schools of thought when it comes to economics and they all have their associated theories and how they've, and how to view the world. I mean, there's one, sometimes they even use the same theories or at least the same titles, but the, but the theories are different depending on the school of economic thought. So like uh, the law of diminishing marginal utility. This is a economic law, but it differs depending on who is talking about it and where they're coming from. You know, uh, there's a difference between the Austrian economics view of the law of diminishing marginal utilities, but then there's also the view from other schools of economic thought. So anyways, that being said, guys, you know, 
Austrian economics is a way to view the world. Economics is a way to view the world. And it's absolutely essential that you understand economics. You know, Not only will it help you to understand finances, because it can absolutely be applied to personal finances, but it will also help you to understand a lot about how the world works. It will help you to get a grasp on it. And it will help you to understand that if you know how things work, you ultimately can plan against the negative aspects of life to some extent. So this is why I always say at the end of every episode, know the risks, risks, plan accordingly. Well, one of the ways that you would know the risks is by, of course, getting into Austrian economics or and, and things of that nature. Okay, that being said, let's go ahead and go into the topic uh, that I want to talk about, which is that all value is subjective and nothing has intrinsic value at all. There's no such thing as intrinsic value. This is the subjective theory of value that we were talking about earlier in the show that I mentioned. And the fact of remains is that this theory has created just a whole different idea. See, a long time ago, you know, people used to believe in that there were objects, items had actual intrinsic value. Like there were certain intrinsic properties that gave it value. Or they also believed in the labor theory of value. If you if you guys have ever read Adam Smith's The Wealth of Nations, then you also know that he also talked about the labor theory of value, where he felt that your the value that's in an item has to do with the amount of work that you put into it. So if you put like eight hours of work into something and it's a beautiful craftsmanship, or let's say it's like, maybe it's 30 days, maybe it took you a whole month to create something, beautiful craftsmanship, and it has value because of that reason. Well, the fact remains is that it's simply not true. Just because you you worked hard on it and you put a lot of effort into it does not mean that that actually gives it any kind of value whatsoever. The value that something has attached to it is determined by what people are willing to pay for it. How much value does it add to their life? If they feel that an item adds $40,000 worth of value to their life, then they will are willing to pay that or maybe a little under that, right? So ultimately they're willing they're open to the idea of buying something of that of that value or something in that range. But just because an item exists doesn't give it value. There's also lots of other uh, lots of other examples of this. My wife and I we were we were watching a TV the other day and we were watching Pawn Stars on the History Channel. And you know I don't know my wife and I we really like that show. You know it, it has a lot of historical uh, facts. You know going it goes into a lot of history with regards to the items and it's just it's just kind of fascinating. That said though. Um, we were watching this and there's a lot of examples here where people will bring in their items that are old and rare and they think the fact that it's old or the fact they think it's rare or the fact that they think that it's both old and rare makes it valuable. And sometimes that is true and sometimes it's not. It's only valuable if there are collectors out there or if there are buyers, people who are willing to buy it. And just because it is old and valuable or just because it is rare doesn't mean it's going to be worth a ton of money, right? It's subjective. Value is subjective, purely based off what someone is willing to pay. And of course, there's a lot of other aspects that go into this, like supply and demand. The more you have of, of any one particular product, usually the value t- 
tends to drop unless demand stays even with the amount of supply. So you see, you always have these two big columns that are going up and down. You're kind of like a bar chart and, you know, supply is on the left, demand's on the right. You could flip flop them. It really doesn't matter. But, you know, ultimately, you know, they're constantly going up and down. And if they go up and down in tandem, let's say supply and demand go up at the same time, prices aren't going to change. So let's say production of a particular item and the demand for that item go up, 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 up at the exact same time, prices will remain the same. However, if the production goes up and the demand does not go up with the production, or maybe it is going up, but it's not going up quite at the same amount, then the supply is going to be less valuable. The value is going to drop. Why? Because you can get it more often. There's more available. Now, what if you have the opposite? What if you had the opposite of the situation we just described? What if supply was to go down? Let's say there was a particular item that just wasn't selling very well during its time and people just stopped making it. That doesn't necessarily mean that demand is going to go up or demand is going to stay the same. If demand stays the same, stays high, and supply starts to fall below demand, then generally speaking, prices will rise as long as there is demand. And if demand continues to rise for an item because of its rarity, its desirability, then naturally that price will again rise. But what happens if the supply drops through the floor and demand drops with it? And before you know it, demand supply and demand kind of drop in tandem and now they're virtually both worthless there's not a whole lot of stuff out there for for it i mean there's there's not a whole lot of supply out there of that particular item whether this is a an old car or i don't know old kitchen utilities it, it doesn't really matter but what whatever it is if demand drops with it, then it will not be very valuable and it may not be valuable at all. And there's a whole host of other different factors that play into this with regards to the quality of the item, with regards to the condition of the item, when we're talking about very old items and things of that nature. But again, value is not determined by intrinsic value. Value is something that's intrinsic, like the the metal that's inside of it or whatnot. I mean, when we look at gold and silver, right? Gold and silver throughout all of human history have always been worth something. But there have always been varying prices that people are willing to pay for virtually what appears to the naked eye to be the same stuff. Why is that? Well, to be completely honest with you, it's not because someone put more time in making it. It's just that there are different grades, different qualities, different conditions. Maybe it's a silver coin that was produced by an ancient empire, an ancient civilization. And history people, people that like currency, people that like history, are willing to pay a lot of money for that. When in reality, all it is, it's a little tiny bit of silver, a little circular coin that honestly... A lot of it's rubbed off. You can't see a ton in terms of, I mean, you could see there was a design there, but you can't like see it. It hasn't aged well. So the condition is there, you know, on a really great coin, you can get like six to 700 bucks off of it. But because of the condition, it now isn't worth nearly as much, but people are still willing to pay for it, which is odd because people who don't care about it are like, what? That's like worthless. What do I care? It's a crappy piece of coin silver. Uh, I'll pay what it's worth in silver. 
But you see, even then, that individual at least had some value in it because of the silver content. Now, there are a whole host of reasons as to why people like gold and silver. Uh, it's largely a a, uh, a fear-oriented items. They're both fear-oriented, like people who are afraid of the stock market collapsing or inflation, they will buy gold and silver to try to hedge against that. You know, um, there's also some manufacturing purposes for gold and silver as well, although not much, but... The value that is created in gold and silver is something that is really deep in the psyche of the human mind because humanity has always valued it. Gold has always been the metal of kings and queens. You know, they always do gold leaf on everything. You know, they always have a lot of gold items and stuff. Jewelry, it's flashy, it's blingy. It's a metal that's not readily available to every single person, although almost anyone can buy it today if you got money for it, naturally. But be that as it may, everything doesn't always have value. And value is subjective based purely off what people are willing to pay. And now, this doesn't just apply to items that we buy on a daily basis, does it? This also applies to other aspects of life, like religion, politics, tradition, life views, etc. It's not just items that you buy at a store. Everything is subjective, is subjectively valued, that is. The value of a religious belief like Buddhism or Christianity or Islam, whatever, not everyone values religious beliefs the same. Not everyone values politics the same. Some people, I mean, we all express our val- how much we value politicians and particular politicians. Uh, this is a huge dividing topic when it comes to America. But look at, but look at it. I mean, some people love the president, Donald Trump. They value him highly. Whether the value is justifiable or not, we're not getting into that. But whether it is justifiable or not, they value him, him heavily. And then there are many people out there who don't value him at all, who thinks that he's a dictator, who thinks that he's he's racist, that he's a horrible person. Again, we're not going to get into the topic as to whether or not any of that is true, but there are people out there who just don't like him. And then, of course, there's a whole spectrum of things, right? There are people that um, are in kind of the middle and they think they think, you know, he's okay, or, you know, eh, I don't really like him, but I'd rather him over the other guy or, eh, you know, I mean, yeah, I think he's all right. You know, I think he's pretty decent. I'll vote for him. Sure. Everything is subjectively valued. You know, you could do the exact same thing with Obama. You could do the exact same thing with with Clinton, Bill Clinton, Hillary Clinton, George Bush, whatever. I mean, Ronald Reagan. You know, Richard Nixon, clearly he wasn't valued after Watergate. I mean, he got, he was impeached, right? People valued him at one point, and then it turns out he was engaged in corruption. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if the vast majority of presidential candidates uh, that exist today are, are almost always ga- engaged in some kind of corruption. We just don't always find out about it. I wouldn't be surprised. And for those of you who don't know, I don't have a huge um, love affair with politicians. Uh, democracy in general, I'm not a fan of. So any kind of politicians, the vast majority of them, I think are snakes and untrustworthy. I think the vast majority of them are just trying to get, just trying to get some, just trying to get what's, you know, trying to benefit off the system. And I I view many of them as thieves. 
Now, that's a pretty... I don't know how to explain it, but that's a, that is a pretty extreme way of looking at it. But in the end, they go into politics, and if they get, get deep enough into politics, they go in with very little money. This happens all the time. They come out millionaires. They get tons of campaign contributions. They get tons of people who lobby with them and give them money. They come out millionaires. Funny thing is, is where do you think they get all that money from? Campaign contributions from from uh, businesses is one thing, but a lot of the money that they get is also from taxpayer dollars. It's from you and me. They sell off power. They sell off regulations and things of that nature. But anyways, that's not the point. We're not getting into that today. But that that's my general view uh, of it. If you know, if you've been listening to me for any length of time, you you know that you know that's how I feel about this. But that being said, though, you know there there's far more that is subjectively valued than simply just the items that we buy at the store. Traditions. Everyday traditions. Every, you know, annual traditions like Christmas. Some people highly value Christmas and then some people don't. Some people could care less. Some people don't even celebrate it. Some people celebrate it but in various different capacities. Like some people celebrate it but it's not really a Christian holiday. It's more of a secular holiday. Some people celebrate it as it's a Christian holiday and it's and if you're like me and you are a Christian then you believe that it is celebrating Christ's birth. Right? Jesus's birth. And how he's eventually going to save us all from our sins by dying on the cross. Things of that nature. So we all value things differently. It's not just the items that we buy. It's 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 everything. It's absolutely everything, every aspect of life. And actually, this is a, a very, very interesting point because um, in a, a later episode somewhere down the line, I actually will apply it to democracy and I will use this very theory this to prove or show you that democracy can never actually work because we all value things differently and we don't agree on stuff. And that's that's basically the nuts and bolts of it right there. But we're not, again, that'll be saved for another episode. But guys, what someone is willing to pay for something is subjective. Which is one of the reasons why a lot of people say that uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure type of thing because he sees value in it. One guy sees value in it when the other guy doesn't anymore. You know, I've got items, we all have items that we have in our life that are kind of like that. Items items that we valued at one point in time, and now, you know, we don't value them much at all. Why do you think that after we sell them, after it's used, you know, the items tend to fall in value? Why, why, why is it that we think that? Why, why is it that that's the case? Because a lot of times, by the time that we're willing to get rid of them, honestly, it's been used. So there is a perception that it's it's not as valuable anymore as it was when it was brand new. So think items depreciate, particularly items that are produced on a continual basis. So there's multiple items. There's newer models out there. It's not hard to find them. You know, things of that nature. And when you're going on the used market, once something is used, it's perceived as being less valuable than it when it was brand new and on top of that when you're selling it when you are the seller you tend to look at those items as if yeah i just don't value them in the same way anymore i'm just willing to get them off my hands so i'm going to sell them for a lot less money than what i bought them for and this is absolutely some uh, 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 an appropriate way to look at it but the same type of idea when it comes to 
subjective theory of value, uh, subjective values, can be applied to all aspects of life. All aspects. And I, and I feel like I, I gave a pretty good example of that. You know, eating healthy. Not everyone agrees that eating healthy is a valuable thing. Most people will say that eating healthy is a valuable thing, but I'm, I'm sure there are people out there that will say that um, I just don't find any value in eating healthy. You know, I just don't care. And then there are people that, that find a lot of value in it, so much so that they are willing to pay a lot more money for healthy foods than they would be willing to pay for a normal food, like organic food, stuff like that. They, they deem organic as being very, very healthy. So they're, they're willing to pay a premium to get access to that organic food, whereas non-organic food, or I guess less organic food, um, is different. They're not willing to pay as much for that kind of stuff. You know, people who want to avoid meat will pay a lot more money for a black bean burger patty than beef that you could get at a cheaper rate. Because there's all different kinds of grades of beef out there. You could probably get a cheaper rate than what the black bean patties are are valued at. But you're willing to pay that because you value not eating meat a lot higher than somebody else. And inevitably, this is the beauty of capitalism, that everyone who wants something gets it. Unlike democracy, where it's 51% of the population telling 49% how to live their life. And if you don't win the vote, sorry, you don't get a choice. But in capitalism, you always get a choice. Unless it's a crony capitalistic society like America has, we have certain aspects of our economy that are capitalistic, sure, but a big, big, big portion of our economy is not capitalistic. You ever wondered why there's only a few airliners out there? Ever wonder why there's only a few cell phone companies out there? It's just a handful of them. Why aren't there 20, 30, 50? Well, you know, there's a lot of regulations. It makes it very, very difficult for new companies to come on the market. Is that capitalism? Is that free markets? No. No, that's not. It's crony capitalism. It's a, it's a controlled market that is intended to keep down competition, which inevitably keeps prices higher for everybody else and the products at a lower quality. It's called rent-seeking. It's an economic term. If you don't know what it is, go to look it up on Wikipedia. Go look it up. Rent-seeking sucks. Everybody hates it. Doesn't matter where on the political spectrum you're at. Rent-seeking is never seen as a good thing because it screws over all of us. Except for those people who are at the top who own those businesses that engage in the rent-seeking. They're the only benefit beneficiaries of it. Everybody else has to be basically uh, suck it up. So, uh... Anyways, guys, well, hey, we are at the end of the episode. Uh, I've been recording a lot of long episodes recently, and um, yeah, I was really wanting to keep this one short. So, guys, hey, let's talk about some affiliate programs, and we'll get going for the day. So, for the very, very first affiliate program we have is Skillshare. Guys, if you were interested in learning a new skill, whether it's you know learning how to fly a drone, website design, whether it's how to take great photos, filmography, 
you know, whether it's email copywriting, whatever it is, there are hundreds upon hundreds and thousands of courses that are on Skillshare, guys, and it's dirt cheap. If you go sign up today, I'm pretty sure they're giving you guys, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they're giving you like a two month for free. If you sign up for your first year, it's only like $100 for the entire year. It's really not that expensive. It's really not. And there's tons of courses that are on there. So guys, if you're interested in learning a good a skill, you don't have a ton of money, this is the way to go. Okay? Also, there's tier one trading, guys. Tier one trading is the in my opinion, the number one place to go learn how to trade and learn the art and the skill of trading. Guys, tier one trading, they don't just teach you a type of trading strategy and call it good. I know that there are a lot of companies, I've had my share of experiences uh, with a lot of companies that ultimately, they just teach you a strategy and they don't really teach you the actual skill of trading. They don't teach you to go out and back test your trading strategies. They sell you this lifestyle of, oh my gosh, you know, you're gonna be able to make millions of dollars on the beach and drive Lamborghinis and Ferraris and things of that nature. And like, I mean, is it possible? Sure. But no, I don't know anyone who's going to go trading on the beach. So that being said, tier one trading though teaches you a lot of this stuff. They teach you the skill of trading. They don't just teach you a strategy. They don't just teach you, you know, okay, here's a strategy. Go trade it. Good luck. No, they teach you the skill. They teach you how to come up with strategy, how to create strategies that you like, that fit your personality. They teach you how to back test it and verify that it's a profitable strategy and then they teach you how you can transition from being an unprofitable trader to a profitable trader. Tier 1 trading, if you guys are interested in trading at all, they are the best way to go. So if you're interested in trading, go check them out. Also guys, you know, if you're interested in the whole trading aspect, then what you need is a trading chart platform. You know, when you're trading, you know, you want a charting platform that ultimately is going to be easy to use, not difficult, and gives you the ability to trade from this charts when you're ready to trade with real money. Guys, there is no greater place to do this than TradingView.com. TradingView is an amazing platform. They do a lot of really great stuff. They're really easy to use. It's not complicated. It's on a website, a web browser. They do have an app, but you can access it through a web browser as long as you have an internet connection. And TradingView allows you to trade straight from the charts. I can't tell you how great that is. And a long time ago, guys, you actually had your charts on one screen and you had to have your broker's platform on their screen and you actually had to take the trades through the broker's platform, not actually trading straight from the charts. I can speak to this. I can attest to this. This sucks and it's really inconvenient. I've had to do this in the past. Today, you don't have to. You can trade straight from the charts. You don't have to deal with the aggravation of looking at the prices on one screen and looking at prices on the other and how they differ a little. You don't ever have to deal with that. You could do it all straight from the charts, guys. And it's amazing. So anyways, that's going to be it, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. You know, make sure to like the video and subscribe to the episode. If you're, if you're listening to this on iTunes, make sure to give me a rating and review. You know, help me to uh, get up there. I'd like to be the number one podcast on iTunes So uh, in, our, in my niche. So if you guys will do that. You know, I'd absolutely appreciate it. And also, you know, hey, if you like my podcast, if you're getting value out of it, please uh, share it. 
you know, go out and share it with your friends, your family members, you know, pump it out there, you know, share it on social media, you know, go, go do that kind of stuff. You know, if you like it, you're getting value out of it and you think there, you know of other people who would get value out of it, then please share it. Help me grow this podcast. Help me grow my message of financial freedom and personal empowerment at, to, to anyone who, who's willing to listen. If you guys will do that for me, I'll see you guys in the next episode. As always, know the risks, plan accordingly, and have a great day.